Colossians chapter 3 this morning. How do I look? Back in the late 80s, I was dealing with a call of God on my life. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. That's really good. I encourage it. That's good. Back in the late 80s, I was dealing with a call of God on my life, and I had listened to Dr. Charles Stanley over and over and over again, literally taped his messages and watched them again and again, invited other people to watch them with us as well. So just had a desire to go to First Heaven Church Atlanta and go down and meet him if possible. Found out he was going to be there on a particular Sunday. So Angie and I make our way to Atlanta. And on July the 2nd, that Sunday morning, we find ourselves in the sanctuary sitting on the front uh, at First Baptist Church Atlanta. Dr. Stanley came in, preached an amazing message that day about our nation. He walked out, inquired about meeting him, and I said, I'd just like to shake his hand and say thank you for the ministry, that uh, preaching ministry that you have. And so I was told, didn't think it was going to work that day. A lot of people were there to see him. Long story short, he is a way maker, so he made a way for us to do that. We met him uh, after the second service and just introduced ourselves. And then he said, could you meet me back in my office this afternoon at 4 o'clock? We said, absolutely. So Angie and I go and we sit down in his office with Dr. Stanley, and he is asking us questions about life and questions about ministry. And then as we were able to be there, then he started praying with us and talking there. And then he said, I want to challenge the two of you with a word from the Lord that I want this to be the word that you look at your life and your ministry about. And he turned to Colossians chapter 3 and he said, I want to challenge you to make sure that you seek the things that are above. And I want to challenge you that you make sure you set your minds on things that are above and not simply things that are on the earth. That was his challenge to us many, many years ago. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. There was a show a number of years ago on television that was entitled, How Do I Look? And there was a contestant who needed to make over in his or her life, had some friends who recommended this person. And so they would go and meet with a professional stylist and they would work on clothes and shoes. They would hairstyle, even accessories. And they go through this show about that. And finally, at the end of the show, the contestant would walk out from a curtain and walk out before friends and the stylist and ask this question, how do I look? And generally, it was amazing the transformation that had happened in this person's life in the span of this show. Well, when's the last time in your life you stood before people whom you know and trust and who believe in you, and you asked them, how do I look? And then how how do they respond to you? Uh, There are times I trust Angie's opinion. I'll say, how does this look? Does this even match, or do, do I need to do something different? And she'll give me her honest opinion about that. And then when's the last time you just stood in front of a mirror? Maybe it was this morning and just even to yourself to say, how do I look? Does this look okay? Am I giving the Lord my best? I want to ask you another question that's very much deeper than that. And here's the question I was reading the other morning in James chapter one in my devotion. And we understand this image that when you and I are reading the word of God, we're looking into his face. But when you and I are reading the word of God, it's like we're looking into God's mirror. How does he see us? As I think about kids and students and adults here and and the many who are watching, when's the last time you opened up God's word and you stood before God's mirror and you asked him to say, Lord, I want to know from your perspective, how do I look? That's a big question. But that'll change your life. And that'll that'll change your life in such a way that it will be evident to other people around you. Colossians chapter 3, Paul is getting ready to make a major transition in his teaching to the believers at Colossae. 
Before this, he's been talking about what Christianity isn't. Now he's getting ready to start talking about what Christianity is. He had been talking about beliefs before. He wanted to make sure the believers at Colossae had the right beliefs. Here's what he meant. I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know that he is the creator of the world. I want you to know he is the head of the church. And I want you to know that he is to be the Lord of your life and the Lord of the church. He wanted them to know that. And now he's making this transition to say, here's what you should believe, but here also is how you should behave. As you think about the false teachers that Paul's dealing with, we would understand them as Gnostics. They, they paid up a lot of attention to what somebody believed, not so much how somebody behaved. They didn't connect the two. And so Paul is coming to the believers at Colossae, teaching them profound truths, even for us this morning. And he's saying, I want to make sure your beliefs are right, but I also want to make sure your behaviors are right, because your beliefs and your behaviors should be consistent. As you stand before Almighty God and you look into his mirror, how many of you are willing to ask him this question? Lord, how do I look? And hear his evaluation of your life. So, so I want to encourage you to take your teaching outline as we walk through this. I'm going to give you three statements here and then some other things under that as we walk through these first 11 verses of Colossians 3. Number one, are we faithfully focused? If you and I are going to live faithful in life, focus really does matter. That there are many believers unhealthy in life because their focus is off. That there are many churches ineffective not because God doesn't want to move in those churches because he does, but they're ineffective because their focus is wrong. It's your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to be the focus of our lives. I was thinking, I'm, I'm not a NASCAR fan necessarily. I think it'd be fun to get in one of those NASCARs and drive around the track. And I've been to Daytona, and we, we went around the tour around the track. It's an impressive thing, by the way. But can you imagine if you're driving a NASCAR and you're in a race to Daytona 500, you're going at high levels of speed. Can you imagine the focus that you must have as you drive that car? I mean, you can't go around the track at Daytona and go around a grandstand and think, I wonder if my family's sitting up there somewhere. I wonder where my friends are. I wonder who those people are. You've got to stay focused. Those drivers must keep their focus to what's in front of them. They can't be distracted. And if you and I are going to live effective in the Christian life, we're also going to be effective as a church. We have got to have a faithful focus in the Christian life. That's what Paul's teaching the believers at Colossae. Now, let's walk, walk through this. I want to give you some insights. Look at number one, spiritual focus. As you and I think about life, we want to be as healthy as we can. We want to be as productive as we can, trying to figure life out. Many times, if you go see a psychologist, they're going to tell you, if you're going to figure life out, you've got to look within. But Paul has a wholly different perspective on that because he said, if you're going to figure life out and you're going to be healthy and you're going to discover your purpose and make a difference, you don't necessarily need to look within. You've got to look up. You've got to make sure your eyes, your focus on him. And as you and I think about life and focus, your focus on Christ should excite you and me. So what excites you and me in life? You talk to kids about that, and here's what kids are going to say. If I don't have to brush my teeth for a few days, that's exciting. If I don't have to take a bath for about three days, that excites me. Or if you've got toys, games, or ice cream, I get excited about those things. 
And then you ask students to say, what excites you? And they're going to talk about technology. They're going to talk about dating. They're going to talk about cars. They're going to talk about friends. Those things excite them. And then I ask you today, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, what excites you and me? Do we get more excited about the things of this world, or do we get more excited about the things of God? What excites you and me? Uh, we were at a college football game here in town last night, and I've been to many, many sporting events with church members and people over the years. And sometimes I'm at those events and think, okay, now what excites us, the things of the world, college sports, or the things of God? I've been in those sporting events with people, and they acted in such a way, I would look and say, who in the world are you at this game? I mean, I don't even know you because I've seen people go crazy at a basketball game or a football game expressing themselves, but they wouldn't give the Lord Jesus Christ a holy grunt on Sunday morning. I mean, it makes no sense to me. What excites you and me? Is it, is it sports or is it the Lord Jesus? We can have fun at those things, but are we more excited about him or the things of this world? Paul wants to be clear to these believers. You've got to make sure you keep your focus. Look at this text. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Please understand the translation is better there since you have been raised with Christ. It's not if then, it's since you've been raised with Christ. When you put your trust in him, you're going to be raised with him. That's a promise from Paul. Then he goes on to say, and I want to give you some insight. If you're going to be a great student of God's Word, you're going to read the Word and study the Word, get the most out of it from the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Here's a great insight to studying the Bible. Study the verbs in the Word of God. Study the verbs. Why? Because those are action-oriented. These are things that you need to know, but things you need to do. Believe and behave. Study the verbs. Look what he says in his passage. He says, seek the things that are above. Seek there is a verb. It's action. What does that mean? You relationally pursue this. It means you crave something in your life. So are we pursuing Christ? Do we crave him? When I was in high school, I marched in the high school band, played the drums. We were marching in the Mardi Gras. At that time, McDonald's had this promotion going on. It was about a Big Mac attack. Whoever could write the most creative story would win the contest of a Big Mac attack. So I thought, well, I, I think I can win that. So I'm marching in the Mardi Gras, had this idea, while I'm marching in the Mardi Gras in New Orleans, I have a Big Mac attack. I want two old beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. I put that story together, and I sent it into McDonald's, and I won the contest. And so it must have been great because you won Mc Big Macs for a year. I won a lousy T-shirt. And uh, I'm still not over it yet. But I haven't had a Big Mac in years. I think it probably tastes good, but I haven't had one in years. But what, do, what do you, are you pursuing? What do you crave in your life? We look here and he says, seek the things that are above. Relationally pursue Jesus and crave him in your life. There's another verb that he goes into talking about here. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. What does that mean, set your minds? It's a continuous action. It means you've got to do this every day of your life. You've got to seek and you've got to set. Why? Because we get distracted in life. How many times do we find ourselves almost with spiritual ADD? Maybe you don't suffer from this, but some of us do. We find ourselves praying, God, I want to have a conversation with you. And as I'm having a conversation with God, all of a sudden I'm thinking about so many other things that I need to be doing. I get distracted pretty easy. 
But he said, you've got to set your mind. This is a continuous action. You've got to keep doing this. So seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on the earth. And so sometimes one of the temptations for me is looking at golf courses. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Okay, which ones have I played? Which ones could I play? I'm not even going to go to down, down the road of Pinterest in life. But, but how many of us are seeking the things of God, setting our minds on the things of God? Paul is saying, make sure you have the right focus in the spiritual life. Number two, spiritual security. He goes on to say not only that, he says, for you have died, folks. Understand that. Before you and I came to Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But God made us alive with Christ through his amazing grace. But now that we know Christ, we need to die to self and to live for him. So he says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there's spiritual security there. Eternal security is a great doctrine of the Christian life for you and me. When I think about eternal security, it's not a license to sin, but we are secure in Christ. We have been hidden with him. Dr. A.T. Robinson, one of the great Greek scholars, made a statement one time. He said, since you have been hidden with Christ, not even Satan can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have security. Your focus is right, but your security is right because you have been hidden with Christ. Number three, spiritual influences. What does he say in this text? He goes on to say, when Christ, who is your life, appears, he is your life. Understand that statement. He is your life. I mean, he's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. He is your life. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your Redeemer. He's your best friend. He's your forgiver. Jesus is everything. He is your life. And when he appears, you are going to appear with him in glory. Jesus Christ is coming again. And the return of Christ should influence every single one of us. I mean, I shouldn't live the same because Jesus is coming again. When is he coming again? Everything is ready for him to come this afternoon. When's he coming again? Let me ask you these two questions. Am I ready for Jesus' return? What that means is if you put your trust in him, if you turn from your sin and trusted him to be your savior. There are many people who know things about him. They just don't know him. And so I encourage you in the room or watching, whatever age you are, the Holy Spirit convicts you. Don't just know about him. Know him. Realize again that he is the son of God. He lived a perfect sinless life and died on Calvary's cross, gave his life for you and me, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, ascended back to the Father. One day is coming again. He wants to be your Savior and Lord of your life. Are you ready if Jesus was to return today? Question two, am I, am I ready for Jesus' return, but am I watching for his return? Look, there's one thing to be ready, but are we watching? Look around at Vince in the world. Everything is lining up that Jesus Christ, he promised he's coming again. He's going to. Are we watching for his return? Therefore, while it is day, we need to do the work of him who sent us. Are we doing what he asked us to do? Are we ready and we watching for his return? That should influence us. When I think about knowing Christ, being ready but watching, then it should influence my priorities, my finances. It should influence everything about me in life when I'm thinking about the return of Christ. So the question is, are we faithfully focused? Again, we'll enjoy the things of this world, but, but we're living with open hands and not clenched fists. Folks, we shouldn't be too comfortable in this world because this world's not our home. 
Our citizenship is in heaven where we eagerly await a Savior. And when he comes, he's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. In Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is not on this earth. It is in heaven with him. And we wait for him. Are we faithfully focused? Number two, are we completely committed? Now think about Paul's words. We're going to transition here a little bit in Colossians 3. He's going to talk about commitment because if believers are going to make a difference in this life, that we need to be committed to him, completely committed to him. And because we understand the world in which we live in is a mess, we need the gospel more than ever. We need to see God move. But are we committed to him the way he wants us to be? How do I look in his eyes? Here's what I know. In our world, instead of worry, we need to be worshiping him. Instead of living with panic, we need to be praising him. Instead of rebellion, we need to be seeking revival in him. Instead of the confusion that we see around us in life, we need to be living consistent, faithful lives with clarity before him. Are we completely committed to him? Let's walk through some things here. Number one, obey commands. What is he going to say to them? He says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Not, not many preachers in our day call out sins by name. Not many preachers in our day stand up before the people of God and step on toes. But Paul was very courageous under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is stepping on toes for those who are at Colossae. He's also talking about sins and giving a name to them. And he's just saying, when you think about this word, put to death, it's not to play around with it. It's not to flirt with it. It's put it to death. That is a strong, strong action. Verb again. He says, this is not optional. This is not a suggestion. You are to do this. Put it to death. Strong word from the Apostle Paul. Obey God's commands. And what does he look at? And I know there are people who look at it and say, well, he goes through these lists. We'll talk about those in just a moment. And I know that I've been around people, I've ministered to them, counseled with them, and they look at it and say, well, I understand what he's saying about all these things that we should not be doing. We should put these off and we should put them to death. But, but, but you've got to realize, this is just who I am. Well, the good news is God can change you. When you stand before him and look into his word, into his mirror, and say, how do I look? And you say, well, some of these things on his list are a part of my life. Well, God can change you. You don't have to do those things. He can set you free of them. He can give you a brand new look. Uh, there are other people who are going to look at it in life, and they're going to say, well, everyone's doing these things. Well, where do we find in the Word of God that we should ever compare ourselves to other people? I mean, Jesus is our standard. We should be living different. I shouldn't live like those in the world. I should live like the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be more and more like him. So just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean that you and I should be doing it. And then we look around and say, well, it's only one time. But, but I have counseled people with addictive behaviors. It started with one time. And then there was tragedy from there. That there are many people look at Paul's list and say, well, I understand what he's saying, but I can handle that. Please understand, you cannot handle the enemy's temptation on your own strength. I mean, Jesus didn't do that. He used the word of God to deal with temptation. You cannot handle it on your own. And then there are other people who look at this list and say, yeah, but if I do some of these things, no one's ever going to know. No one's ever going to find out. It's an out-of-town business trip. 
My parents are away for the weekend. They're never going to know. Please understand this next statement. They may not know. You may be out of town, but God knows what you're doing. He knows what you're doing. And Paul just saying, put to death then, put it to death, strong words, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Obey commands. Well, you look at it and you say, well, what if I don't obey those commands? I've given you some insights here. One, expect consequences. If you look at these two lists, first list, second list, and you don't obey them, and you, you rationalize to say, well, here's why I, I still do these things, you can expect consequences. The Bible is very clear. Paul said to the believers in Galatia, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow to the sinful nature, you're going to reap destruction. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You should expect consequences in your life. And I promise you that if you do these things, what Paul is saying in Colossians 3, if you practice these, these will destroy your life, your marriage, your family, your character, your reputation, your integrity. They will do those things. And again, Paul's very courageous because he's naming sins and he's stepping on toes. Expect consequences. Second, just face reality. Uh, You and I need to know today that partial obedience is disobedience in the eyes of God. He wants you and me to be completely committed. Partial obedience is not what he's asking from your life or my life. That's disobedience in his eyes. Be all in, as Paul would say. And then three, just observe fruit. You look at your life and you say, well, I mean, how do people know if I'm a good employer or not? I mean, how do people know if I take marriage seriously or not? And how do people know if I love God or not? Just because I carry around a big Bible and use fancy words, does that mean I love God? There ought to be fruit. And a part of that fruit is you put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You just put it to death. Number two, proclaim truth. Then what does Paul do? Then he starts proclaiming truth to them. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he starts talking about these lists, sexual immorality. What does that mean? Fornication, adultery, pornography, Paul is saying that does not fit who you are in Christ. He's personal. He goes on, he talks about impurity. What does that mean? You just twist innocent situations for your gain. That doesn't fit who you are in Christ. Passion. That just means instant gratification. You're unwilling to wait on God's leadership in God's time. You want it now. Not willing to wait for him. Evil desire just means your life is out of control. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Self-controlled. You're living out of control. He goes on to say from there what, what some of the others, again, you find, the evil desires. And then, and then he talks about greed, meaning you just, you're not content. You just want more and more of this world. And then if that's not enough list, he goes to a second list down there. And then he starts talking about, he says these things when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And then he talks about anger. You ever been around somebody who's angry? Somebody who's angry is tough to be around, hard to live with, hard to work with because they're just angry in life. Angry at people, angry at God, just angry at everything. Then if he goes on, it gets a little bit deeper in that. He talks about anger. And then he, what does he say? He says malice. And then he talks about wrath. Uh, wrath is just someone who explodes. It's like somebody, again, road rage. We see that. That's what wrath is. I mean, they just didn't explode at any moment. 
Malice is someone, again, you're, what are you doing? You're hindering somebody's character and reputation. You're refusing to let a wrong go. You're going to hang on to it because of malice. Then he continues on. He talks about slander. What is that? You're just speaking gossip, words that's destroying somebody's character and reputation in life. And then he talks about obscene talk. These are words that are coming out of your mouth. Just do not reflect who you are in Christ and what the Word of God says, whether it be words or jokes, just not appropriate. And then he says you shouldn't lie to one another. What does that do? It just destroys relationships. Paul says these things are not to be a part of your life. He's proclaiming truth to say when you stand in front of God's mirror and you ask him how do you look, these things should not be a part of your life. They don't fit who you are in Christ. Maybe they used to, but Jesus has changed you, so your beliefs and your behavior need to match. Then number three, welcome change. And then here's what he says after this list. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What is he saying? He has changed your life. Again, in Baptist, we don't like change a lot. But this is the kind of change that we should pursue. When we look and we say, so on the one hand, God, how do I look? And he says, I don't like those behaviors in your life. I want to change your life. You need a new life. And then the grace of God floods us. How amazing it is. He changes us. And then we come back to him, Lord, how do I look? And we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's how we look in his sight. And we should welcome that kind of change. Whether you're a child, student, or adult, we should desire to see the change that God wants to do in and through us. Number three, are we rightly related? Now, Paul's going to give insight here in this text that when your focus is right and when your obedience is right, it's going to influence your relationships in life. Look what he says in this passage. He goes on to say, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. What in the world does that mean? It's about relationships. So when Paul unpacks this and he talks about Greek and Jew, it's related to race. When he talks about circumcised and uncircumcised, he's talking about ritual or tradition. And when he talks about barbarian and Scythian, he's talking about education. And when he talks about slave-free, he's talking about social status in life. And so what Paul is saying again, when your focus is right, when your obedience is right, it's going to influence your relationships you have in your life. Look at these two statements. One, common problem. You can look at these based on race. You can look at these based on tradition based on education or even social status, and we all have the same thing in common. You may look at your life, and and you come from a family that was very loving and affirming, and you all were just happy all the time. It's a great family environment. Or I may look at it and say, you know, I came from a family that was very dysfunctional and troubled. I mean, we hardly ever got along. It was always tension in the house, never a good moment. See, see, here's the common problem. Whether you come from a loving family or you come from a dysfunctional family, we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. We need to be forgiven in Christ, every single one of us. 
And Paul is saying to these things, but it doesn't make any difference about your race. It makes no difference about your tradition. It makes no difference about your education. It makes no difference about your social status. You need Jesus. That's true for all of us. We all in this room and watching, we need a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in life. Every single one of us. Common problem. Number two, unity matters. What does he say at the end of here? He says again, but Christ is, is all and in all. He's talking about unity. And so when, when you look at the Bible, does unity matter? Uh, there's no question. When you and I think about the Godhead, that's a big word, but it means God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Are they divided or are they together? They are in perfect unity. You're not going to find any division between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In John 17, Jesus prays this incredible prayer. And, and he's adoring the Father, but he's also praying for those who are going to believe in him and who are going to follow him. And what does he pray to the Father in that prayer? He says, Father, may they be divided. He didn't say that. He says, Father, may they be one. He wants us as his people to be united in life. Unity matters. As you and I think about this text again, Christ is all and in all. As I think about what he's saying there again, you think about relationships. Uh, you look at your relationships. How are your relationships? Are they uh, rightly related? Are, is there unity in the relationships? And then think about this. You find yourself going into your closet some days and you think, what am I going to wear? How do I look? And how many of us look in our closet and say, I just don't have anything to wear today? And the closet is full of clothes. Well, I can't wear that because I just had it on a few days ago. I can't wear that because it's faded. I can't wear that. It's not in style anymore. I can't wear that. It doesn't fit right anymore. Well, get rid of that stuff. You realize how difficult that is to do? Try to clean out the closet sometime. It's very difficult to do. That's what Paul is saying in this text. You stand in front of a mirror. You say, well, what am I going to wear today? How am I going to look? And all these things, he said, these things don't fit who you are in Christ anymore. You need to put them to death. Get rid of them. Let me ask you this last question. When was the last time you stood before God's mirror? The Word of God. When's the last time you stood before God's mirror, the Word of God, and you just ask him, Lord, how do I look? And what does he say to you? Does he affirm you? You used to look this way, but because of your focus, because of your obedience, commitment, and because of your relationships, you're a brand new person. Your look is radically different. Lord, how do I look? I told you to put to death those things. Why are you still playing around with sexual immorality? Doesn't fit who you are in me anymore. Why are you still wrestling with anger? The Holy Spirit's at work in your life. Why are you still dealing with that? Why are you still dealing with greed? Why can't you be content in life? I've given you more than you deserve or you even need. Why are you still dealing with greed in your life? Lord, how do I look? You say, well, what if I find myself standing before his mirror and asking him, Lord, how do I look? 
And there are areas of my life that he said, what are you wearing that for? What do you look like that for? What do I need to do? I'd encourage you, one, to confess. Agree with God to say, God, you're right. I'm still dealing with this issue, this issue, this issue. Lord, I agree with you about that. I'd give you another word, and it's the word repent. It's a big word. It's a significant word in Scripture, but it just means you turn around. You go a different direction. Lord, I agree with you. I don't look the way you want me to, so, Lord, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to turn from that behavior, and I'm going to turn to you as my Savior and Lord. That's what that means. I would encourage you to seek. Relationships matter. If you're going to look God's way when you look into the mirror, you need some trusted, selected people in your life who are going to speak the truth of God into your life. When you ask the Lord, how do you look? You ask them, how do you look? And they're going to say, you shouldn't be flirting with that. Doesn't even fit who you are in Christ. Shouldn't be doing that. You need some accountability. I'd give you another word. It's the word remove. Some of us just need to walk into the closet Lord how do I look and he says this has got to go and you just start cleaning out the closet that doesn't fit who I am in Christ that needs to go in my life and then construct you just need to construct some walls and some boundaries around your life and make sure again you handle temptation God's way when I say walls or boundaries you stay faithful to God's word You have people around your life who will speak truth into your life because you want to stand before him, Lord, how do I look? And he says, you look exactly the way I want you to look. You're faithful to me. Your focus is right. Your commitment is right. Your relationships are right. How do I look, Lord? How do I look? Let's bow together this morning. I want to pray for us. Heads bowed today. I just want to encourage you in the room those watching just ask how do I look how do I look is he going to affirm you or is he going to convict you and you may stand before his mirror and the first point is to say you don't have a relationship with me and I just encourage you today let this be the beginning of where eternity changes for you surrender your life to Jesus right now in the room are watching turn from your sin and trust him to be your savior you need to be baptized like we witnessed today in such a glorious way Lord how do I look well you need to obey me you've been procrastinating and waiting way way too long obey me today obey his leadership join the fellowship of this church how do I look Lord well I want you to be a part of my body I want you to serve I want you to grow I want you to be used Make that commitment today to say, Lord, I want to be a part of this church family. Get a Christian life issue. Maybe you look at me and say, I am, I am dealing with sexual immorality. I am dealing with anger. I am dealing with greed or malice or slander. I am dealing with those things. And to say, Lord, how do I look? I don't look the way you want me to, but I trust you to change me. You can't put this to death on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Our pastoral team is going to be here. Our prayer teams are going to be on the side as well. Those who are watching online, you see an email address. You can respond to us there. You can comment to us on the platform that you're watching on. 
We'll follow up with you. I promise we will reach out to you and minister to you as you need. How do I look, Lord? Affirmation or conviction? What is it in your life? Father, we pray today in an invitation time. The results are in your hands. Thank you again for being a way maker, a promise keeper, miracle worker, light in the midst of darkness. And Father, today we pray that hearts and lives will be changed, what we believe and how we behave. As we stand before you, Lord, how do I look? Affirmation, conviction, and then let us obey you from there. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. How do I look, Lord? You obey his leadership as we sing together.